Welcome to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there is anything in this message that you would like to talk about further, please go to our website, www.cofcpenrith.org. That's www.cofcpenrith.org. Now let's listen to Pastor Dave Crocker. Hey, the... We, last week we uh, we launched uh, a new series, uh, stories. If we could put the first slide, that'd be great. Stories that Jesus told, and uh, I, I'm excited to kind of begin the the odyssey that is uh, this series. And you know, I, I want to start with a bit of a, a confession this morning. True confess, confessions of the pastor. Well, I, I've struggled with this whole Christian journey a lot over the years. Anyone else in the room? Okay, a few of you are honest. Great. The rest of you, you'll get honest by the end of the service. We, you know, one of the, the things that, that I struggled most, a lot in my, my kind of late teens, early 20s, was I'd come to church and everyone would look so spiritual. Right? Everyone would look like they had it all together. And, and I, would, I would stand there, maybe I'm talking about another church, I don't know. I, I, would, I would stand there and, and I, I loved God, man. I, I loved God, I would worship, I'd pray, I was a youth leader, I was in the worship team, I was involved in everything. And, and I'd walk in on a Sunday morning and I'd stand there and I'd feel like a fraud. I had sin and, and compromise and, and, and stuff in my life and I knew what I was really like, but man, I got good at looking the part. I got good at looking like I had everything together and I was this perfect Christian. And, and I used to beat myself up about that. I used to feel so bad about it, thinking everyone else is, is so good and I'm so not. I didn't realise that if I'd got good at putting on this front, this facade, this mask, then perhaps everyone else was good at it as well. I just assumed I was the only one that was struggling. I was the only one that would walk in and, and feel horrible. I, I don't know how you feel when you walk in on a Sunday morning. I don't know how you feel when you look at the person sitting in the robe in front of you and they're worshipping God and you're sitting there worshipping God but thinking about all the things you've done wrong. I don't know what, what the struggles are that, that are going on in your world but I don't think any of that is helpful to us as a community of faith. I don't think this... This feeling that we've got to look to part before we're okay in church. That we've got to, got to be the spiritual person before these people will accept us. And, and I think that's half the problem because I know that God accepts me, but I struggle to think that other people will accept me. And I'm determined, and I've said this here a lot, that we are going to have a, a, a culture in our church where transparency is okay where it's okay to be who you are and journey your stuff and feel accepted and valued as a part of this community. And I don't have a problem getting up and talking about my struggles and my weaknesses and my shortcomings because I think that's helpful when I can tell you about how I'm going about fixing some of that stuff or what I'm doing in my life. But I don't want us to be a community where you feel like you have to be the fourth part of the Trinity, waiting for a vacancy, for the Holy Spirit to retire so you can step in. I don't think that we have to be that kind of Christian to feel like we're part of something here. I don't think that helps anyone that walks in through our doors feeling like they're broken, feeling like they're not good enough, feeling like they're, they're so far from where they, they should be or want to be or could be. And look around the room and go, man, everyone's so spiritual. Well, I want to let you in on a secret this morning. None of us are. 
we might look good. I'm the pastor. I, I can make myself look pretty spiritual. I know, I know when to raise my hands. I know what. To, I went to Bible college. They taught me that. I could be the best fake Christian. That doesn't help us, does it? It's not. That's not reality because we walk out the door and we go back to life as if it's something separate from what we do here, and and we go back to being who we are. And we come on Sunday and we put our good clothes on and we look good again. Oh, I'm so spiritual. I can say yes at the right time in the sermon. I can take communion. I might throw something in the offering. And, and we talk a lot about spiritual practices. We, we did a big series on it last year. In fact, the last series we did over the last sort of three months here, we talked about the armour of God. And it basically boiled down to reading our Bibles and praying. And, and we talk about these spiritual practices and and. and in my, I, I didn't always, and I still sometimes struggle reading my Bible. I, I, I can struggle to pray sometimes. I know. I'm sorry if you want a different pastor, you can find a different pastor. But I, I struggle with that stuff sometimes. And the, the point of practices is not to practice. The point of practicing is to play. The, the point of doing all of that stuff is not that we would tick off some box, how great are we that we can pray and read our Bible. The point of practicing in sport is so you can play the game. The point of all of this stuff that we talk about is not just because we think it'll get you to heaven, but it's about the life that we live here on earth. See, when Jesus came and walked this earth, he didn't just come to bring salvation He came to tell you something special. The kingdom of God is close. In fact, Mark chapter 1 verse 15 says this. At last the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Turn from your sins and believe this good news. I love the language that Jesus used. At last the time has come. I read an excitement in that as Jesus is finally in a place, he's about to make this amazing declaration and he's been waiting for this moment. At last, the time has come. I don't know about you, but I'm at the worst secret keeper. If you've got a secret, you probably don't want it about a surprise. If it's a personal thing, I can do that, okay? Don't, don't feel like you can't come talk to your pastor about stuff and I'm gonna put it on Facebook five minutes after you walk out of the room. But if I buy a surprise for my wife, I... I it's horrible. She loves surprises. I hate it because I just, this kid, wait, oh, I just want to tell her. And, and, and it's the hardest thing for me to hold on to, to this surprise and the secret. And I kind of feel like at last, the moment has arrived. This is it. And Jesus says, the kingdom of God is near. That the kingdom of God, the, the, the kingdom is about the, the rule and the reign of Christ. It's where God is in authority. It's where he has influence. It's where he is at work. And Jesus came to announce that the kingdom is close. It's here, the kingdom of God. And the question for us is, we are part. what is our part of the kingdom? What is it that, that we should be doing in the kingdom of God? It's not about just practicing. It's about playing the game. We've been talking about this theme this year and it's on the banner behind me and weaved into a few things about the idea of relentless. God is, in the Old Testament, we started the year that he relentlessly pursued a people. He wanted relationship, the, the people of Israel, the, 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 the Jews as we, we know them today, that, that nation were, he is their God and, and they were his people. There's this 
this relationship with a group and God dealt with people and uh, individuals through the prophets, the priests and the kings. He was an intermediary, someone that went between the person and God. If you did something wrong, the priest would make a sacrifice and do all that stuff. God was in the middle, but fast forward to, to Jesus Christ and Jesus came because he was relentlessly pursuing a relationship with you. It became a personal thing. It was about the, the being, being part of his kingdom and, and his Life And so the question for us is around that. If, if he is our king, if we are part of his kingdom, what do we do when the king says to go? Well, we go. What do we do when the king says to do something? Well, we do it. When, when he asks something of us, our, our response should be immediate. And we... Uh, unpacking some of the, the stories that Jesus told, giving us some insights into what this kingdom looks like. And I want to read uh, a passage of scripture this morning that you'll, you'll know, uh, be quite familiar with uh, a lot of people here. It's called the parable of the talents. If we could put that up. For the kingdom of God, of heaven, is like a man. Sorry, by the way, the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, and scripture, those are interchangeable. It means the same thing. Kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received five talents went and traded them and made another five talents. And likewise, he would receive two, gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and bought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. He said to him, what the, his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He who also had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I had not, have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10. For everyone who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But for him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, here you go. Jesus is telling a story. This, this is uh, uh, quite an involved story. This is a, a, a parable that Jesus was telling about what things would be like at the end of time. It's part of a, a, a passage of scriptures in which we, we talk about eschatology, a study of the end times. Jesus is describing that the future is his coming again to people and then he launches into this story. So there's, there's a question we need to ask and ponder this morning is what, what do we need to understand from this passage? What is 
is Jesus trying to communicate to us? What are we, what insights is he, is he trying to give to us today? And, and there's a couple of quick ones that we can immediately guess, get. The, the master in this story is Jesus. Jesus is talking about himself. He's talking about that he is going to go away and, and, and after a long period of time, he's going to come back. That's Jesus talking about his return. Jesus is the master in the story and the servants in the story, that's us. We who are followers of Jesus Christ, we who are part of his kingdom are the servants in this story. Now that's good news for you today if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus because I'm about to talk to you. But if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, if you're kind of exploring this whole thing, maybe you've just randomly walked in today because it was warm and whatever, you're looking forward to a bicky after church, I don't know. But there's good news for this in you because... We, you can get some insights into what it means to follow Jesus. You can begin to understand and learn some of the stuff that, that we talk about here and what really matters to us as followers. So Jesus, he is going to leave uh, sometime and he's going to return. At some point he's coming back and he's going to hold people to account. That Those people that he's going to hold to account are us. We as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, are going to be judged on what we did with the talents. So to help illustrate this this morning, I have three beautiful assistants who I have organised to help me. So if you beautiful assistants would come up this morning and assume your posse. Oh, we couldn't get beautiful assistants, Janelle. We, we just went with these guys? Okay, cool. So um, we have three assistants of varying degrees of beautification. And, uh, and if, if you could hold your, your signs up, we have a five talent uh, assistant this morning. We have a two talent assistant. And of course, the one talent assistant doesn't know which way it goes around. So if you could turn that sign around, we have a, a one talent. And these guys are, are going to, to help us this morning begin to understand what this, this parable, that's going to be awkward if I don't get that back. This parable is all about. Now, it's important for us to have a good understanding and, and a correct reading of what this parable is trying to teach us because unfortunately what we do with these stories is, is we put our own uh, cultural perspective on it. We put our own bruises and our own beliefs and our own desires into the story and assume that that's what Jesus is talking about. And we can, we can look at this and we can go, man, this is so unfair. This guy only gets one talent. But, but here we've got this guy, he's moderately talented, he does okay, he gets, he gets by. But my goodness, look at how beautiful our five talent person is. Look at how amazingly uh, gifted he is. And, uh, and you want to be a five talent person, Mike, you don't want to be, you don't want to be this guy. I mean, look at him, really? Seriously? And, 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 and we, we begin to go, it's, it's so unfair. It's not right. Why, why does this guy only get one? Why, why doesn't he get the same as everybody else? Why doesn't he get treated the same? Surely God created him in the first place. Why would God not give him the five talents? It, it's just not fair. We want a level playing field. We love a happy ending. We're Australians, a lot of us. We root for the underdog. 
We, we, we like the, the little guy to, to overcome the big guy. We like the David and Goliath stuff. We, we like to think that we punch above our weight. We want it all to be the same and all. Life's not a fairy tale. Life doesn't play out like that. We, we end up with a, a range of, of people having a, a range of things take place. And, 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 and in the story, Jesus is saying, well, we've got a one-talent guy, a two-talent guy, and, 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 and a five-talent guy. And if we're going to have a, a correct reading and understanding of this parable, there's something you've got to understand this morning. The number of talents that these guys are having has nothing to do with their value or their worth. It is not related to that at all. This is not a value-added parable. Do you know how I know that? Because if Jesus is the master and these servants are us, we are already in his family. We already have relationship. Our value has been decided. Our worth has been declared because Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and for me. We are valuable, we are worthy, we are important to Him because He died for you. That's how I know that you're so special and you're so valuable. That's our inherent worth that Jesus Christ would give His life for us. That's how we know how much He loves us, that He would lay down His life for us. It's not a, not a value statement, it's not about your worth, that has been secured on the cross. The second thing that, that we can discover this morning is that the, 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 in the culture of the day, a talent was an amount of money. It, it, was, it was not a measure of ability. And the, the English word talent that we use now was got its meaning much, from this passage, but much, much, much later in history. At the time, a talent was a defined value of money. One talent was equivalent to 6,000 denarii, and a denarii was equivalent to one day's wage for an average labourer. So, so the owner of the business would go down to the, the town or, or wherever, and he would call people to come and work for him. And at the end of the day, he would settle accounts with them, and they would be paid one denarii. And we understand that one talent is worth 6,000 days wages. That is equivalent, in the Jewish culture, they work six days, then they have it rough. That one talent is 20 years worth of wages. Two talents is 40 years worth of wages. Five talents, 100 years worth of wages. He gave, the master gave to these servants an unbelievable amount of money. A life-changing moment took place. We can look at the five-talent guy and go, man, you got a hundred days wages. But the one-talent guy, it was like winning lotto. Who would like to be paid 20 years worth of your salary today? That's an incredible amount of money. It was a life-changing experience. The resource that was placed in our lowly one-talent guy that we feel so sorry for. And we think, oh, woe is him. It wasn't woe. It was party time. 20 years worth of resource. It's a healthy perspective for us to have this morning. The master gave them more than just money. He gave them responsibility. He said, here, take this, put it to work. I think now we've kind of established some of the things that this parable is not about. 
we can actually get on and work out what it is about. I, I love a good mystery. I love kind of discovering the, the plot and the hidden twists and all. Who, who else is into the mystery? I, I, I love it. I love uh, uh, reading a good book where you actually don't know the end before you get there and it's not this massive twist. It's like this character that was never even in the book until the last page suddenly did it. Like that, that's stupid writing. But we, we love a good mystery. And the first clue about what this parable might be trying to communicate to us this morning is found in the very opening verse. Says this, for it will be as when a man going on a journey called his servants and entrusted to them his property. What the master gave to the servant belonged to the master. It was his. It was not something the servants would ever be able to accumulate. A, a worker that was, was working on, on a daily wage that, that didn't have a, a set, he was never going to be able to save up enough money to be in a position to get that much resource. A one talent guy, no matter how hard he saved, he's never going to save 20 years worth of wages because they needed a denarii a day to live. It was beyond their capacity. It belonged to the master. It was something that only the master could give. The second clue that we discover in this passage is, it says this in, in this next verse, the one he gave five talents to another two talents, to another one, to each according to his ability. The last phrase there, to his ability, is helpful. The talents that, that are, the question is, what is the talent? The, the talents, I, I understand from that, it's not a an ability. It's not talent as we've read it, as, as a skill or ability, because it was given according to their talents, according to, sorry, their abilities, according to what they could already do. The master looked and evaluated what their abilities were, and he gave them an amount of resource that was according to his ability. So I don't understand from that is this guy still had a great amount of ability. I don't know any master that's going to give 20 years of wages to someone who he thinks is just going to go out and squander it. That's still a, that's still a, that's a, that's a huge tick of confidence from the master. Mate, come here. Here's 20 years worth of wages. This guy had a little bit more ability and capacity and this guy had, had, had a bit more ability. He was, he was perhaps more skilled. I, 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 don't, I don't know because it's just a story and we've got to be really careful in parables reading in what wasn't there. But we, we don't know their, a whole lot. We don't know their ages. We don't know their employment status with the master. Maybe the five talent guy was the head of the, all the servants and he'd been with them for 50 years and he'd, he knew the master's business inside and out. The one talent guy might have shown up a few months before, maybe worked for, we don't know any of that. But I do know that the master evaluated their abilities and then allocated them the resource. The third clue is it's not stated in the text, but I think it's implied. The Lord expected these servants to invest the talent in such a way as to produce gain. He's not going to give them this resource and say, it's party time for you boys now, isn't it? I don't know about you, but if God had placed, if someone had come to me and said, here's a hundred years worth of wages, I'm going to come back in, in a period of time and I'm going to hold you to account with what you've done. I don't know about you, but I'd be gone. I would which, watch which way he was going and I would leave with his 100 years worth of money and go the other way. I think a, a large majority of people would do that. But there's an expectation on the, the, the servants that they would take what the master had given them and they would continue business with that. They would continue to invest in, and do what the master's business might have been. He, he trusted them with the resource, but there was an expectation that there would be a gain. 
Fourth clue again, it's kind of, I think it's implied that the investment is made for the benefit of the master. It was his money, it's his resource, it's his capacity and he's entrusted it to these guys. The benefit perhaps is to the master, maybe the, 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 the risk was on them. But everything they did was enough for the master. It was for the master, the absent master. It was about him. I think there, in, in, in this concept, there's an inherent understanding that there's risk. The, the master's trusting these guys, but they're going to put the master's money on the line. They've got to, got to trust that, that they can take what they've got and do something with it. And we know that the first guy went and he traded and he did his thing and he started with five and my gosh, master finally shows up after a long period of time. He's got 10. I reckon at this point, we've possibly got enough information now to solve the riddle. The master looked at their abilities. He said, here, mate. And I don't think we should feel sorry for the one talent guy at all, maybe for the outcome for him in this story. He gave him 20 years. It's a life-changing amount of money. So go and do something with it. Looked at the two talent. He said, man, you've got, you've got a, a bit of ability here. You, you, you've proven yourself. I, I, I've seen something in you, and I'm going to give you this amount. The fifth, five talent guy's like, my gosh. I've, I've seen you at work. I've, I've watched what you've done, how you've handled my affairs. Man, I, I, I trust you to do, to do well with what I give you. I, I, I see your ability, and I, I'm going to give you 100 years worth of resource. If you've got an ability, if, if you're good at something, maybe you've trained, maybe you've practiced, maybe you've been to university and studied or you've, you've learned to trade, you've, you, you, you've, you've added value to your life in some way, maybe you've got a, a unique skill set, something that, that's a, maybe a natural ability. What is the one thing that you look for? I think it's an opportunity. I think it's an opportunity to use that which, which you're already good at. I, I, I think we look for an opportunity to put into place that which we've studied, prepared, trained and equipped for. I, I think we, we want to use our natural abilities. We don't just want to go, my goodness. I, no, I think opportunities exist all over the place. I think there's incredible opportunity. We know those once in a lifetime opportunities that come by. When, when I think of a once in a lifetime opportunity, I think of Susan Boyle. No one knew who she was. No one really knew what she could do. And she stepped into a moment, and I don't particularly like her singing, but that's me. It's a style thing. It's a preference thing. But I love what she's achieved. She stepped into a moment, into an opportunity. The world discovered the skill that might have been hidden away, the ability that no one else knew about. When, when, when uh, uh, musicians in a, in a band and, and they practice and, and they, they do music and they, they travel, they do gigs wherever they can, what are they looking for? They're looking for their big break, their opportunity to, to suddenly become something. And, and who knows what, why, how one band get chosen o- over another? Like, who knows why suddenly and how they get discovered? Look at One Direction, how discovered in a moment and suddenly that. the, the Travelling the world, five seconds of summer discovered in a moment. 
and, and, and traveling the world, are they any better than any other band? Well, well, perhaps not. In fact, there's probably more talented musicians around writing better songs with better voices. I can guarantee there are. But in that, in that moment, the opportunity presented itself. What about the opposite of that? The, not the lucky break, but the bad break, an opportunity you thought we could step into is suddenly gone. Maybe we, we thought things were heading a certain direction and all of a sudden the opportunity is no longer there. We, we've missed our moment. We've missed that thing. We, we know that opportunities exist in the world, but this is not a parable about the world. This is a parable about us as Christians. God places before us opportunities according to our abilities. That, that there's a, a, a natural component to what we're gifted at, but there's a spiritual component because God gives us spiritual abilities as well. That the Bible talks about the, the different gifts that God has, things like prophecy and speaking in tongues and, and, and healing. And the Bible's full of all these, these spiritual things that as Christians begin to develop. I've met plenty of people that were ridiculously gifted but it's all in seed form. Never matured, they've never grown, they've never placed themselves in an environment to allow that gifting to be expressed and to grow and to be shaped and the rough edges to be polished off. There's plenty of intelligent people that are ridiculously high IQs that can't find work because they've never been to study or train, they've never put themselves in a position to further what is naturally there. Spiritual opportunities. See, we can feel sorry for the one talent person or we can be excited that we get to have a talent, that God places an opportunity before us. Church, I think God places opportunities before us all the time. I think some of those opportunities are once in a lifetime moments to step into something that God has for us, where, where it's like circumstances collide, that, that there's some, some clues there for us because it it's something that only the master possessed. It's not an opportunity we can create for ourselves. Something God places. It's not for our benefit, it's for the benefit of the master, the kingdom of God. It's, it's him, it's him placing these things in us to say maybe it's an opportunity to, to pray for your neighbour who's having a hard time. Maybe it's an opportunity to, to sign up and, and serve at a festival where, where thousands of our community are gonna be. Maybe it's an opportunity to, to share the good news of Jesus Christ with someone that, that is going through a hard time. Maybe it's an opportunity to, to take your time and, and, and serve in an area. Maybe it's an opportunity to take the resource that God's placed in your hand and go, I'm gonna use it for your kingdom, God. It's beyond my capacity, but God, I'm gonna, gonna sow it and I'm going to invest in your kingdom. Maybe it's an opportunity to be involved here. Maybe, like for me, it's an opportunity to step into a moment and go, I could lead this church. God, I couldn't create this opportunity on my own. But God, you know my abilities. You know who I am. And in that moment when God speaks to the, the leadership of this church and begins to speak to carry me, there's an opportunity to step into. I think God places opportunities in front of you all the time. So the question becomes this morning, if God gives us opportunities, what are we going to do about it? Are you going to take those opportunities when they come? I, I, lo I love that idea of the king, the, the master, of God looking at me and saying, Dave, You've got some ability in the natural. You've got some ability spiritually. And here's an opportunity. We wonder why 
have you ever wondered, I, I have in context of the church world, how some people seem to suddenly get somewhere or... It's like I, I look at other churches. I, the classic example in our city is Hillsong. You look at them and it's just gone boom around the world. And we lo- I love those guys. I love the, the expression of, of faith and, and how they've blessed the body of Christ and, and what they give. But I look at that and go, how? I think God looks at ability. He looks at, at faithfulness. He looks at what they are and says, here's an opportunity. And, and you step into that moment and you take those opportunities. Here's a couple of quick thoughts to leave you with. The band can come. You guys can get rid of chairs and start picking up instruments and microphones. Just a few quick thoughts to leave us with this morning. Every servant gained an opportunity. Every one of them received an opportunity. God didn't look at the one talent, the master didn't look at the one talent guy and go, you know what, it's just not worth my time. It's not, it's not worth giving you something. Everyone received an opportunity. Church, you will receive opportunities. God will place things in front of us. The question he's asking us as part of the kingdom is what will we do when the opportunity presents itself before you? Second thought there is, it says that it was based on their abilities. The, the, the master looked at the abilities. And so my question there becomes, what are you doing to sharpen your abilities? Maybe you don't have a whole lot of ability, but maybe you could, you could learn something new. Maybe you could upskill in an area. Maybe you could, you could get experience in something. Maybe you could take something that's in seed form in your life and, and let it sprout fruit. It's according to our abilities. I've been incredibly challenged this week. If God is giving me opportunities according to my ability, I want more ability because I want more opportunity. I I, want to be better at what I do. I want to be sharper. I want to learn new things. I want to get better at this preaching gig. I want to be a better pastor, a better leader of this place. I I want to be better because then different opportunities may present themselves and have ever presented themselves before. So what are you doing to get better, to sharpen up, to improve, to, to see something grow in your life and develop? And you know, that's one of the reasons that, that we, as this is some shameless advertising, that we, or I developed this leadership initiative called Launch. Is we're acknowledging that there are some natural abilities and spiritual abilities and we want to help people sharpen up, help people grow in their gifting, help people discover how God's created them and, and who they are in this kingdom life. And, and when opportunities present, we're ready to go. Maybe you haven't considered this yet, but I want to encourage you. Well, we're going to look at, at some practical things, some things in natural leadership is a skill that can be learned, but we're going to learn, look at some of the spiritual components as well. We're going to go on a journey together. Brochures for that on the back. We're, we're launching into it soon. I'm going to be in touch with those that sign up quite soon. I want to encourage you. Maybe think about it. You're sitting here going, but I'm only one talent. I've only got one little talent to offer. You've got to get that thinking out of our head and start thinking, I've got one talent. I've got, I've got one talent to offer. 20 years worth of salary. It's, 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 it's big. I, I, I've, I've, God's placed this opportunity, but it's going to be according to my ability. And thirdly, and this is a really important, you might only start with one talent. You might only think you've got a, a little bit of opportunity, but that doesn't mean you end there. See, that it finishes off in, in verse 28, 29, saying, therefore the passage we're talking about, take the talent from him 
and give it to the one who has 10 talents. Talk about the one talent person who did nothing. Take it from him and give it to the one who has 10. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. An abundance is more than we need. It's beyond what we have. When God places that in your hand, the opportunity there is saying, what are you gonna do with it? What are you going to do with what I've placed in your hand? Are you going to be like the good and faithful servants? And you know what I discovered about that when I, I, I really read through this passage? The guy that had five and made 10 and the guy that had two and had four got exactly the same reward. They got the same blessing from the master. Come in and enjoy your master's uh, and experience your master's joy. Come be part of it. Welcome. Here's the one talent guy. He goes, you know what? I'm going to bury it in the ground. Master, I, I knew that you're a hard man. That you take things that aren't yours. You go here and there and gather all this stuff. I was afraid. I mean, this is quite challenging because this verse is not talking about people who aren't in followers of Jesus. It's talking about people who are. This man with one talent didn't understand who the master was. Didn't really know the master. I don't think that well. And the, the, the follow-on from that is the master says, so you th- think I'm a hard man, do you? You think I take this from that and there from there? The NIV, the diff- a different translation than we've got this morning, poses that with a question mark. Master's saying, that's who you think I am. He's not say, agreeing because this is Jesus. Jesus ain't the guy that this servant was describing. And he was kicked out, sent to a place of darkness with his weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a a biblical picture of hell. This story is is dealing with eternity. What are you doing with what God's placed in your hand? Because the day will come, church, where we get held to account for what we've done with what God's given us. I want to be on the right side of that equation, not the wrong side. This is not to make you feel, woe is me, I better be... No, there's an encouragement in this today, not a... I'm not trying to make you feel guilty or condemn you. What has God placed in your hand? It's time for you to do something with what you had. God, I thank you that you are the giver of abundance. Thank you that you place opportunities before us. Thank you that we can receive that which you've given us and God, you place opportunities all around us. God, we want to be a a church that embraces the opportunities in this community and other places. God, we want to be individuals that step into that which you've placed in front of us. God, we want to take responsibility for for the gifting that, that you've given us, for our spiritual gifts, for our natural abilities. We want to be sharper at that stuff. But I thank you that the one talent person would have received the same blessing as the five talent person. But God, your heart for us is that no matter what we have, your word says to him who has more will be given. God, we might only have a little bit. There might not be a lot around us right now. We might be new in this whole thing. We, we, we might be just discovering this journey of who you are. God, as we start, you will give more. And the opportunity in front of us is beyond our capacity. It's beyond our 
what we could provide for ourselves because you are our master and you have a resource that we can only imagine. We pray your blessing upon us, Lord God, as we go this week, that we may step into opportunities that you have for us, that we may grow in our abilities. and our, our church, I, I feel to just finish with encouraging you this. Some of us perhaps don't have a whole lot, a whole lot to offer. Maybe you've got health restrictions. Maybe you've got a lack of finance in your life. Maybe you, you can't do a whole lot. But I want to encourage you, you can do something. You can pray. Maybe, maybe you're here and you say, oh, I, I, I can't go and do that or I can't go and do this, but I've got a little bit of time. Maybe I could use my time Maybe you've got some skills in a certain area. Maybe you've got some administration background. You've got time. You know what? Maybe I could use that. Help at church do something. Maybe I could dig a hole in the ground. You might not be able to do a whole lot. But you know what I I keep coming back to is there's a story where there's a, a lady... And Jesus is standing there at the temple and he's watching and everyone's coming in and putting their huge offerings in. They're making a big song and dance and look at me, look how great I am, look at what I'm doing. And this, this lady walks in and all she had is a couple of little coins and she puts it in. Jesus, he looks at that, he goes, guys, guys, he gathers the guy, disciples, look at what she's just done, it's amazing. And they're like, Jesus, she only put two little, you know, copper coins in there and everyone's this all gold and jewels and all this stuff. He goes, no, you don't understand. They gave out of what she, they had, but she gave of what she didn't have. She gave everything. I'm not asking you to give everything. That, that's not mine to ask. But I am asking you to do something. I am asking, not for me, not to make this church look great, but for you to grow. Because those that have will receive more. What are we doing with what we have? Thank you for listening to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there was anything in this message that you would like to talk further about, please go to our website on www.cofcpenrith.org. That's www.cofcpenrith.org.